Joshua chapter 3, moving forward in the book of Joshua here. And when you find your place, I have you stand, we'll read uh, all, we'll probably read the whole chapter. Joshua chapter 3. I'll begin reading here in verse 1. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Ye there shall, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I'll be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. Well, that's a great verse, isn't it? That should be the invitation for every preacher to every congregation in the United States of America. Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the uh, HIVites, and the Perizzites, and the Gergesites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the, uh, the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every, man, every tribe of man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord... The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. And it shall come to pass when the people remove from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon the heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all, is, uh, all the Israelites passed over on dry ground, unto all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Let's pray. Our Father, I come before you this morning, and Father, we plead the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we need your help this morning. We thank you, Lord, for a perfect Bible. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here safely. And Father, we pray that you administer to us through your word. Father, pray that you fill me with power. Give me the unction that only comes from you. 
And Father, be someone here today that's cold, without God, or having troubles and trials. Father, would you, would you help them? Would you comfort them? Would you undergird them? Would you strengthen them? Help us, Lord. We desire you to come back soon. And Father, we pray that it would be today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Thank you very much for that. Here in our text in Joshua chapter 3, it seems like we never got here, but finally, the children of Israel, they're going to pass over into the promised land. <laughs> I feel like we should cheer. <laughs> Amen. We've been preaching a long time. Uh, if you remember, we started back in, I began preaching in Genesis and then Exodus. We didn't hit Leviticus yet. Thank God for that. Amen. <laughs> preach through Numbers. Didn't preach in Deuteronomy. Thank you later for that. Amen. We'll eventually get to that. Man, they are finally going to go over to the promised land. And I'll tell you what, the day's drawing close, isn't it? The time is drawing close, but we're going to get out of here, amen? And uh, that old uh, picture of the Jordan River is, again, another picture of you and I getting out of here. And we're finally going to make it to the promised land. And I'm ready to go. I really am. You say, is there anything else that you want to do here in this life? No, not really. I mean, would you like to see grandkids? Yeah, that'd be a blessing, amen? Bounce them on your knee and take them and fill them with sugar and then take them back to their parents. That'd be a wonderful thing, amen? Maybe not so much so, amen? But yeah, that'd be, some, that'd be a great blessing. But I tell you what, if the Lord came right now, <laughs> that'd be all right with me. Wouldn't it be all right with you? And you say, what's the only thing that you wouldn't want him to come back for so I could lead another family member to Jesus Christ? Maybe someone that I've grown to care about. But anyways, in this chapter today, the children of Israel finally pass over into the promised land. And we just read it. You see the miraculous account of the children of Israel crossing over the Jordan River. Which, by the way, if you see that in the Bible, that's, I don't know what that looks like in your mind. But I see this, this river of water just rising up in a heap, the Bible says. You know that thing violates five scientific laws right off the bat, right out of the gate. It violates the law of inertia. Inertia tells you a body in motion continues in motion. In verse 13, he says, The waters of Jordan shall be cut off. It violates the law of inertia. Not only it violates the law of inertia, but it violates the law of gravity. You say, well, how is that? Water always seeks its lowest level. If you have a leak, you will find out. It always seeks its lowest level, the path of least resistance, and that's the lowest level. Verse 13, the Bible says that the waters shall stand up on a heap. I've never seen water stand up on a heap before, have you? Only here in this passage. Uh, not only the law of gravity, but how about the law of expansion? You realize as water uh, rises, it expands. And uh, so it violates the, water, the law of expansion. In verse 16, the Bible says, The water stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city. But they didn't expand. They just kept standing up and standing up and standing up. Man, what a picture. You say, that's even hard to fathom. Can you imagine being the children of Israel watching all that stuff happen? They've been like, what mushrooms did we eat on the way over to the Moab there? This is crazy. But what the mighty workings of God, it defied the law of contraction. You say, how is that? If you wanted to get that water to stop, you would have to uh, have froze those waters until it all contracted. 
And verse 16 says that the waters failed and were cut off. It defies the law of contraction. And of course it has to defy the laws of evaporation. The laws of evaporation. If that river didn't freeze, which we know it didn't, then that water would have had to evaporate instantaneously, which would have had to been done by some nuclear bomb that would have taken out Jericho and all two million Jews at the same time. So it defies five laws, scientific laws, right off the bat. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Only the God of the King James Bible can do that sort of thing. And, uh, but at any rate... <clears throat> Uh, here in Joshua 3, the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River where the spies crossed back in chapter 2, verse 7. They crossed back at the place of the fords. And, uh, and, and that place uh, is called Beth Bara. And you learn of that name in Judges chapter 7 and verse 14. And why that's important is because in John chapter 1, verse 28, it's called Beth Abra. Just a little bit different pronunciation. You say... Well, what in the world is so important about Bethabara? Well, that's the place where Jesus Christ was baptized. So what you're reading here, you know what it is? It's a type of baptism. Just like the children of Israel crossing over the Red Sea, when them waters congealed and they walked through that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, since they were all to the baptism of Moses, what you're reading here is a type of baptism. And not only is it a type of baptism, but it's a type of the second advent. You say, how is it a type of the second advent? Well, it's real simple. As soon as the children of Israel cross over the Jordan River, you know what the Lord has Joshua do? Destroy a cursed city. That's Joshua 6, 26. Jericho is cursed. As soon as the Lord comes back, you know what the Lord does? He destroys a cursed city, Babylon. That's a perfect type and picture of the second advent. And the interesting thing is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. That's an interesting phrase there, isn't there, in the book of Joshua? You know what that thing does? Everywhere that thing goes, it brings a slaughter. Everywhere it goes, it brings a slaughter. I mean, the children of Israel dropping like flies in the wilderness. And, and uh, you know, of course, it was killing Midianites and it was killing Amorites and it was killing Israelites. Amen. All the way through that uh, process there. And uh, you realize that that, uh, that the Ark of the Covenant there, uh, it, that path that the Ark of the Covenant takes is the exact same path that the Lord's going to take at the second advent. The Bible talks about, uh, you know, the Lord coming back. You say, how so? Well, think about it. That Ark was created where? Mount Sinai. Where does the Lord come back? That's where He comes back. You see that? He comes back at Mount Sinai where the ark was created. And then he comes back through Edom, through the king's highway. That's where the children of Israel went through. And then that thing comes around through Selah Petra, uh, through Moab. And then it crosses over. And guess where it's going to cross? You got it right there. It's going to cross at Beth Abra. And that's the place of the fords. What a beautiful picture of baptism, beautiful picture of the second heaven. I don't know about you, but that stuff excites me this morning and as we look at this thing here there's a number of practical things that'll help you in your Christian life look back to verse 3 I'd like to try to get to preaching besides give you introduction stuff here but in verse 3 Joshua says to the people when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests the Levites bearing it then you shall remove from your place and go after it you see that I'd like to preach a message about going after it this morning Going after it. In any of your Christian life, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to go after Him. Amen? You and I need to go after Jesus Christ in our Christian life. Now listen, some people don't know how to go after them. 
And Joshua said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, that thing move, you go after it. And some people, they don't know how to go after the Lord. They don't know how to go after the Lord at all. You know, some people, they know how to go after the Lord, but you know what? They've just been kind of sidetracked. It's easy to get sidetracked in the Christian life. It's easy to get uh, d- distracted. Amen? Uh, just like driving a car, it's easy to get distracted. You're drinking a coffee, you spill this, you got your phone, and that uh, thing buzzes or beeps or hums or whatever, and you're looking at that, and if you l- pick it up with your left hand, you drift into the left side of the lane. You pick it up with your right hand, you drift to the right side. And I'll tell you what, a lot of Christians, they don't know how to go after it, and I like this chapter will help you. But some Christians, they've got distracted. They got off the beaten path, and this will help you get back on it. So I'd like to try to preach this thing about going after it, going after God the way we should. And it's all found right in the text, amen? That's the beautiful part about any chapter of your Bible. God will give you something right from the text. This isn't Christian psychology, amen? This isn't Christian psychiatry. This isn't about uh, what does the Lord think about the political views today? He doesn't care. He doesn't because one day we're out of here and then he's going to burn this place to a fairly well. This isn't about what's going on in our community. I'm going to tell you what, you have a living book with words. And that's exactly what you and I need. Now, let me give you this this morning. If you're going to go after it in your Christian life, if you're going to go after God the way you should, look at verse 1. It's going to take some preparations. It's going to take some preparations. Over here in verse 1, the Bible says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. You see that? you got a group of people, and they're lodging somewhere, aren't they? I just see here uh, it's going to take some preparations to go after the Lord the way you should. You know what proper preparation does in the Christian life? Well, it uh, allows you time to prepare spiritual food and inspect your spiritual weapon. Proper preparation allows you to inspect or prepare spiritual food and inspect your spiritual weapon. Ain't that something? Verse 1, the Bible says that he rose early in the morning. He, uh, he had something to do. Now, we live in a day and age that says, uh, you know what, whenever you feel like it, get up. And maybe you're to the point in life where you're like, I can't get up. <laughs> okay, well, fine. But you know what? You ought to rise early if you can. You ought to rise early if you can. And, uh, and, that's, and here, here's, what, here's what man tells you. You ought to rise early so you can get a bunch of things done. Now, I'll agree with you. If you get up early and you get after it in your own way, you'll get lots of things done around the house, won't you? You'll get more work done if you get up and you get out your little planner there and you write down all the things that you need to do. You're more likely to accomplish things that are in that planner, aren't you? And I mean, besides sleeping into 11 a.m. I don't know who in the world can do that anymore. I'd say you take the right amount of substance, you can sleep as long as you want to. But anyways, but proper preparation allows you time to prepare spiritual food and inspect your spiritual weapons. Look back to Joshua 1.11. What did Joshua tell the people? He said, prepare you what? It sounds like victuals, but you say that word, that's vittles. That's vittles. Joshua 1.11. Prepare you victuals. You realize that in your Christian life, you have to learn to prepare spiritual food. You ought to take time and prepare that thing. You prepare spiritual food. Uh, Not only that, but uh, it allows you to prepare spiritual food and your spiritual weapon. Don't you have a spiritual weapon in your lap this morning? Of course you do. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says, The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
So in your lap that you're looking at today, you have a spiritual weapon. And you know what that spiritual weapon is also likened to? It's also likened unto food. The Bible says in uh, Proverbs chapter 25, 11, that the word of God is like apples. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible is like bread. Psalm 119, 103, the word of God is like honey. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, the word of God is like meat. Uh, Proverbs 25, 25, the word of God is like water. You see that? That's food. And I tell you what, what a beautiful food processing machine you have in your lap this morning. And I tell you what, in the morning, you know what you need to do? You need to learn to prepare spiritual food and inspect your weapon. Uh, you know, uh, not everyone that carries a gun knows how to use it. Amen. Y'all quiet this morning. Like, I'm not going to say amen to nothing. <laughs> but not everyone that carries a weapon knows how to use it. You can carry a pocket knife and cut your fingers off with it. You know what I mean? Uh, you can carry a stick and beat yourself. I was watching some of this dumb video, and this kid was twirling a stick around, smacked himself right in the head. Of course, man, I laughed so hard I didn't know what to do, but you get hit in the head with a stick, that hurts. And if you don't know how to use that book in your lap, you can get stuck with it. That Bible says it's a two-edged sword, isn't it? Piercing, even dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, you have to take time in your Christian life to prepare not only spiritual food to sustain yourself, but you have to take time and prepare the weapon so you know how to use it. You have to learn to use it offensively and defensively. Listen, just because you've gone to church, and I'm not, I'm not throwing sticks at anybody here today, but just because you go to church for 20 years does not mean you know how to use your Bible. Just because you go to church for 30 years does not even mean that you know how to feed yourself spiritually. That's why you have to learn to take time. You have to learn to prepare. We prepare for many things in life. You prepare to get a job, and then you get a job. You prepare to pay off your house. What a blessing that'll be one day, amen? amen. And if you paid off your house, quit your bragging. I'm going to be there soon, amen, <laughs> eventually. Right? You prepare for that stuff, and you prepare for rainy days. You, some of you have a rainy day fund, and I have a wish I had a fund, amen? But anyways, so you prepare for things. You prepare for marriage. You prepare to take an exam, a test. But you prepare for the day. It takes preparation. If you're going to go after it, like Joshua said in Joshua 3 3, he knew that it was going to take some preparation. That's the first thing he said in Joshua chapter 1, verse 11. Prepare your vittles. Prepare your vittles. See, preparation allows you to take time, prepare spiritual food, and spiritual weaponry. You say, Well, I tell you what, uh, I've eaten quite a bit of spiritual food and Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And invariably, there's always someone that says, it ain't been very good lately. You ever heard that? You might have thought that before. I've been, I've been tasting and seeing, and I don't think the Lord's very good. Matter of fact, I've been reading that Bible, and I, I don't get a whole lot out of it. You ever thought that? Well, there's a story about one fellow, and he was an apple farmer had some of the largest orchards in the state. And he invited his friend, I'd like you to come over, I'd like you to try some of my apples. But this friend, he wouldn't come. He had invited him several times, and he didn't understand why. He just, he just couldn't fathom why this fellow wouldn't come over and try his apples. And finally, he got some correspondence with that fellow and met him. He says, why don't you come and try my apples? He says, I have a time or two driving down your road. I have seen an apple 
that has gone into the middle of the road. And I have tasted those apples. And those are some of the most sourest apples I have ever tried in my life. Matter of fact, he said, and I quote, they have set my teeth on edge. You ever been into an apple or a piece of fruit? You know, like turn your face inside out. And the owner of that orchard, he goes, now I understand completely. You see what I did with my orchards, he said to this friend of his. He said, for miles and miles and miles, I sent this particular type of apple just for those boys who would attempt to steal my fruit. He said, and just for those passerbys who are wondering what these great apples taste like that happened to fall on the road, he said, oh, but if you come into the center, if you go a little further, he said, you'll see the sweetness of this orchard. And isn't that like it, Christian? You go to one service, you're like, that wasn't worth shooting sideways, man. You get up and you read just a little bit and you're like, oh, that was ridiculous. And you know what the Lord's saying? It's just like the Word of God. If you're just there to steal the fruit, if you're just there to eat around the outside of the orchard, I'm telling you, you got to go a little farther in. you got to go to the center where the rich sweetness is if you just go back and go after the Master. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, proper preparation this morning gives you time to prepare spiritual food and inspect your spiritual weaponry. But not only that, but proper preparation allows you to take time to pray and seek direction from God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. The Bible says you know the verse real well. It says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, proper preparation allows you time to pray. You know what also this proper preparation will do? This proper preparation, there's a lot of P's in that phrase. Proper preparation, it'll give you a chance to ponder the difficulties. Let me tell you what the Lord wants to see, your reaction to the day. Now over there in verse 15, you see Jordan overflow with her banks at time of harvest. You better guarantee the children of Israel going, how in the world are we going to get across this thing? And they're probably thinking, well, the Lord, he led us by day, by a pillar of cloud, and by night, by a pillar by fire. But how in the world? You're going to have to have a mighty big blower, Lord, to get us across that thing. And ain't no bridge builders among us. But proper preparation allows you to look at the difficulties and ponder the difficulties. The Lord wants to see if you're faint of heart. I'm telling you, you need time to prepare for the day. And if you're faint of heart, you know what I know you won't do? If you're faint of heart, you won't prepare. But see, if you want to live a life of faith, if you want to live a life that's living by faith, you'll prepare regardless of the outcome of the battle. But see, proper preparation allows you to ponder the difficulties. And let me tell you what, there's a lot of difficulties in this life, Christian. And the Lord wants to see if you're faint of heart this morning. He wants to see if you'll take the time to prepare. Well, I think you see the spiritual lesson for the Christian is this. There should be a time of rest and preparation before the battle. I'll say it again. There should be a time of rest and preparation 
before the battle. Three days. You see that? And before you face the challenges of the day, Christian, you should spend time preparing with prayer and the scriptures. I see preparation. It'll help you go after him. Let me give you number two this morning. If you're going to go after it in the Christian life, you know what you're going to have to learn to do? Not only prepare, but you're going to have to learn to follow. You're going to have to learn to follow. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Look at verse 4. Verse 4. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 4. The Bible says, Yet there shall be a space between you and it. Talking about the ark. About 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which you must go. For he have not passed this way heretofore. Uh, 2,000 cubits, uh, the conversion gives you 0.57, but a little more than a half a mile. So the Lord said, all right, Joshua, Joshua said, all right, you follow. when the ark moves, you move. Amen? Ark's a picture and type of the power and presence of God, right? When God moves, you move. But you stay back. You see the picture? You got to stay back. Some Christians, they, uh, they rush too far ahead of the Lord. Verse 4 says the spaces would be about 2,000 cubits. That's, uh, like I said, 0.57 of a mile. You see, when you rush ahead of the Lord, you end up planning your life without regard for the Lord's leadership. I'll say it again. When you rush ahead of God, you plan your entire life out without the leadership of God. What I'm saying this morning is if you're going to learn to follow, the Lord has to be the lead man. He has to be the lead scout. He has to be the point man. You see that this morning? You have to learn to follow. And some Christians, they rush out way too far ahead in, in their life and plan in their life without God's direction. When he uh, was choosing the disciples, he showed up at uh, Levi at the receipt of custom in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. You know what he said? Follow me. That's all he said. And Levi followed. Remember when Peter got out of fellowship with the Lord? Was it John chapter 21, verse 22? You know what the Lord's instruction to Peter was? It wasn't, well, you need to, you need to go and do this more. You need to go do that more. He just said, follow by me. That was the instruction. Christian, we have to learn to follow. But some Christians, they, they're way out in front. Well, you know, the opposite of that is right. Some Christians drag behind. You know, we are a Christian army. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Well, some Christians are so far back behind the column of Christians, they can't hear anything the Lord's saying. You know why some people are never called to preach? Never called to the mission field? Never called to witness to nobody because they're never within calling distance. There's, there's the right distance and they have to learn to follow. Some Christians follow too far off like Peter. Matthew 26, 58 says those words exactly, but Peter followed a far off. And of course, when you follow a far off, you get into trouble. You end up denying the Lord. You end up getting out of fellowship with the Lord. The average Christian lags way behind the column, so when the Lord speaks, you can't hear him because he's too far away. I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. Then stop and wait for his direction. The Christian is not to drag behind or rush ahead, but follow in a life of faith. Because look at verse 4. I want you to see this practical application. Because the Lord is leading you in a way that you've never been. 
He says, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. Following is a decision. Well, let me read you this. <laughs> Young lady wanted to go to college, but her heart uh, sank when she read the final question to the application that asked her, Are you a leader? She also had a conscience, so she said, No, I'm not. She returned the application expecting the worst, but to her supply, surprise, she received this letter from the college. Dear applicant, a study of the applicant forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. The Lord said in Psalm 32, 8, I'll guide thee with mine eye. Isaiah 58, 11, he says, I will guide thee continually. And you know the passage in Jeremiah 42, verse 10. He said, it is not within man to direct his own steps. You've got to learn to follow. If you're going to go after Jesus Christ, you have to learn to follow. And you have to learn the right distance. You can't get too far ahead. And you can't lag too far behind. Try 2,000 cubits. That's the right space. Well, I'll give you number three here this morning. If you're going to go after Jesus Christ, then what comes next in the passage? Look at verse 5. It's separation. Oh, boy. <laughs> he says, sanctify yourself. Now, you and I both know that separation involves setting yourself apart to God. For service to him. It starts with the willing mind. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, David says to Solomon that you should serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Are you willing to serve the Lord today? It takes a willing mind. Not only does it take a willing mind, but it takes you yielding your body. That's Romans 12:1. Bible says, I, present, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. If you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to separate yourself unto Him, if you're going to sanctify yourself, it takes a willing mind and it takes a yielded body. A yielded body. A lot of people think that service to the Lord is some action or some duty or some offering, but it takes, first of all, that willing mind. Yes, I'm willing to do it. And number two, I'm willing to yield my body to whatever it is the Lord wants me to do. That's what it is. That's separation. Not only is sub separation involved setting yourself apart to, uh, unto God to serve Him, but separation, of course, involves cleaning up. Separation involves cleaning up. You can't separate yourselves unto God if you're dirty. Bible says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're clean through the word which I have spoken you, John 15, 5. But over in Genesis 35, 2, when the Lord's dealing with Jacob and he says, go back to Bethel, you remember that? Jacob's doing his thing out there in Pandanaram or however you say that biblical location there and messing around with Papa-in-law there in Syria, Laban the Syrian and 
he's trying to, you know, he's trying to Jew him out of his stuff. And finally, Jacob starts and I've had enough of this, man. There ain't no place like home, he's saying. And over there in Genesis chapter 35, the Lord says, go back to Bethel. You know what Jacob knew? If he's going to go back to Bethel where it was the house of God or the house of the house of God, he tells us, kids, he says, put away the strange gods and change your garments. If you're going to separate yourself to God, you've got to clean up. You can't go back to God the way you are. You're in a far country, you've got to clean up and come out of the pig pen. You got to come to yourself. You got to go, man. Ain't nothing like hog dewey, ain't there? There used to be some. There used to be a pig farm down there off of Lorenz Road, man. And you could smell that thing a half a mile before you got there, and a half a mile after it. And you got to clean up. Bible says in First John chapter three. Is this helping this morning? Preach about going after God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3, Every man that hath this hope, you say, what hope is that? That the Lord's coming back? You believe He's coming back? Well, John says in 1 John 3, 3, Every man that hath this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. It's a purifying hope. The idea that we can be off in this world and just live however we want and get as dirty as we want, that's not scriptural. Every man that hath this hope that he's coming back and he's coming back purifieth himself. So I've had the same conviction for the last 28 years. You ain't doing it right then. You ain't doing it right. The more you grow in grace, the more the Lord will change you. The more the Lord will change you and the more you try to be like him, the more he will let you know that there's dirt that needs to come off. The closer you get to the light the more the dirt is revealed. It's just like that room in your house that looks so clean, but the blinds are drawn down. As soon as you open up the blinds to the ray of sunshine, you see the millions of dust particles in the room. You're like, my goodness, I don't even want to breathe in this room. And then invariably there's some cat sitting on a couch over there that you got to clean up. If you're going to go after Jesus Christ, what comes next is separation. Can I give you number four this morning? I'd like to take my time with this one if I can. If you're going to go after Jesus Christ in this Christian life, you're going to have to learn how to stand still. Look at verse 8 with me. The Bible says, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Now, the crossing of Jordan, no doubt, as we said in the introduction, is a picture of baptism. And you get over there into Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 and 4. The Bible says we are baptized unto his death. You know what baptism is, right? It's a picture of the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it not? Well, part of that baptism is death. Listen, when the priests were given the instructions, they took the ark... And they made the decision, it was an act of their will, to go down into that river. Amen? See, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, in John chapter 1, verse 12, you choose to receive Him. And as many as received Him become the sons of God. In John chapter 1, verse 13, you find out that it's not the will of the flesh. So you choose to receive God and you step down into the Jordan like the priest did. And then you stand still, and they didn't do nothing to get those waters to part. What happened next was all of God. 
You might have asked the Lord to save you. You might have chosen to be saved. And at that very moment, you had nothing to do with it. All the work was of God. You say, well, what does that have to do with standing still? Listen, part of the baptism is death. And if you're going to walk in newness of life, you know what has to happen? God has to affect that death in you. You have to learn to stand still. The priest went down into the water in verse 8. They chose to. And once they got down, there was a miracle of God. They didn't do anything to get the waters apart. And when the Holy Spirit accomplishes the new birth in you, He's the one that accomplishes the death of self in you, not only positionally, but practically. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. Doing more work for the Lord does not make you spiritual. You have to learn to stand still. You have to learn to stand still. Doing more work for the Lord doesn't make you more spiritual. Matter of fact, sometimes it can be a mark of carnality. I'll say it again. Doing more work for the Lord can be a mark of carnality. Sometimes when a Christian does more, it's a desire for attention. Sometimes when a Christian does more, it's because he really wants accolades from other Christians. We're on the same planet this morning. I know you've heard this before, and if you're not, just say amen. It's all good, amen? Doing more is not always a sign of spirituality. Matter of fact, many times it's a sign of carnality. I want you to understand this morning that natural abilities and strengths that you have are the flesh. Natural strengths that you obtain and have are the flesh. You realize God gives talents to unsaved men? Matter of fact, God gives some unsaved men a whole lot more talent than you and I. So the natural exercise of natural talents, uh, natural talents is no proof of spirituality. You say, what are you getting at? Well, you're going to have to learn to stand still. The proof of spirituality, if you want a proof of spirituality, is the ability to thank God for taking away things that the flesh enjoys. And that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, I have learned that whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Now, if you can honestly say that, I guess you're spiritual. For the death, the burial, and resurrection to be effectual in your life, to have its intended purpose in your life, you know what you have to do? You have to know something. You have to know something, not do something. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, the Bible says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You've got to know that. Three verses down in verse 9, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. You have to know something. Not only do you have to know some things, but you have to reckon some things. Romans 6.11, the Bible says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have to reckon it to be so. You have to know something, and then you have to reckon. That means count it. You have to count it to be so. You have to know that you are dead to sin, and you have to reckon it so. Bible says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. You say, how in the world do you do that? Well, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means you're dead. You see, you've got to learn to stand still. Christians got this crazy idea that the more I do, and the more I do, and the more I do, and the more I'm seen doing, the more I'm seen doing this and doing that and doing that, I'm more, more spiritual. You have to learn to stand still. God has to not only accomplish the new birth in you, but he's got to accomplish the death of yourself. And you can't do that by doing more. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says, We're baptized unto a death. His death, we also should walk in newness of life. Well, how in the world did Paul do that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31. He said, I die daily. You got to get up every morning and drop dead. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? Get up in the morning, go ahead, look in the mirror and go, ooh, drop dead, man. You ugly. Paul said, I die daily. you got to die daily to self. You have to reckon it to be so. You say, how in the world do I die daily? Now you're getting somewhere. You see what I mean? you got to know something. And if you're going to know something, you have to go somewhere where that knowledge is at. you got to get in that book. And if you're going to know something, you're going to come across to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. And Paul says, mortify therefore your members. Romans 6.13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. You have to reckon that you are dead. And you are never more alive unto God until you're able to reckon that you're dead unto sin. And that's not accomplished by doing. That's accomplished by knowing. You have to know all that. And to know all that, you have to read your Bible. And you know what happens? A beautiful picture in Joshua chapter 3. Joshua gives the priests the instructions, and the priest, he gives the priest instruction, and he gives the people instruction. You know what God's given you? He's given you instruction in a book, the King James Bible. Joshua's a picture of Jesus, and the Lord's given you the King James Bible. What a beautiful instruction book. And if you're going to know it, you're going to have to get in it, and you're going to have to read it. You're going to have to learn to stand still. As we close here, I want you to see that Joshua chapter 3 verse 17, it closes out by saying, And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. You see, when you stand still and let the Lord work in you, you'll always stand firm. You see that? You'll always stand firm just like those priests did in the middle of Jordan. It says, And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. So as chapter 3 comes to a close, I want to exhort you today to go after it. Go after Jesus Christ. Understand that it's going to take some preparation. You ought to have a time of rest and preparation before you face the day's battle. It's going to take a willingness to follow. It's going to take some separation and the ability to stand still and fight the urge to always do something. And you stand still by getting into your Bible, reading His Word, and letting the Lord work. He'll accomplish the work of death in your life as well as the new birth. I thought maybe we'd take just a few minutes as, uh, as Elizabeth comes to play this morning.
a few minutes this morning, you get along with God and say, Lord, I want to go after you. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to follow. Help me separate. Help me to stand still so you can work through me. You see, in verse 17, when he works in you, it's a firm work. Notice that in verse 17. And notice it's a clean work and a complete work because all the people pass clean over. Go after it this morning, Christian. Just go after it. 